There you go. Please take your Bibles and go to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, a black Bible. You can pull that out and go to page to the back. The new, they renumber the New Testament. Find page 73. 73, John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to study verses 22 to 30. 3, 22 to 30. John 3, 22 to 30. I'm going to jump in and read, and then we'll jump in and see what God has for us from his word this morning. John 3, 22. 3, 22. Did I, did I say that? I said 3, 22, right? Okay. Sometimes I th- say things anyway. Wait, did I say that? Okay, John three twenty two. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the countryside of Judea. There he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptized in Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. And therefore, a discussion came uh, out of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, look, he is baptizing, and, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man is not able to receive anything except that which has been given him from heaven. You yourselves testified to me, I said, I myself am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. Verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, the one who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. It is necessary for him to increase, but for me to decrease. Uh, There's a story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing? He asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? The rich man asked. What would I do with them? You can earn more money, came the impatient reply, and buy better boats so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? You could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. As you look calmly out to the sea, the fisherman replied, what do you think I'm doing now? Contentment. It's like a four-letter word in our society. The four-letter word that they don't say. They'll say plenty of other four-letter words. 
but it becomes like a four-letter word, contentment, or being content. It's something our culture does not understand. Because you watch TV. (laughs) We don't have TV, so you get all the commercials, right? It's geared towards getting you to think you're not content until you have or or whatever. You're not content until you have this. We're bombarded with needing more. We're bombarded with discontentment. And then when we don't get what we want, it's God's fault. Right? Yeah, that attitude has infiltrated into the church. My place in life. Some people who are not married. My work. John's gospel is geared to readers to come and believe in Jesus, believe into Jesus. Come receive Jesus. Come know Jesus. And as we narrow things in to these specific verses, 22 to 30, we'll see this. Happily content with Jesus' supremacy over your life. Happily content with Jesus' supremacy over your life. Jesus is the one who defines your identity, your role, your purpose. My identity, my role, my purpose, our identity, our role, our purpose, not just in human history, but within the scope of redemptive history. As I was doing my study, one writer, he put it like this, and I was glad he said this. The Christian life is not about God fitting into your story. That's not the Christian life. God fitting into me. We've talked about this, right? The Christian life is about how do you fit into God's story? (laughs) Into what he's doing? It's about how do you fit into what God's doing? He's doing something. You fit in that. How do you fit into that? You've got to figure that out. You don't come to the Bible saying, okay, what's in it for me? That's how people come to the Bible. That's a wrong approach to the Bible. No. How do you fit in what God's already been doing into into his story? Is he increasing? Is he being supreme? The Christian life is being happily content with Jesus reigning supreme in my life, in every circumstance. That's a big pill to swallow. Do you like that? I don't like that. This goes for our very lives. 
and our service as his servants, that we would joyfully submit ourselves to the service he's given us, happily content with his supremacy over our lives. So the focus is on Christ Jesus and why it should matter to you. Remember, John's also about that. John's telling you, this is who Jesus is, and this is why it should matter to you. This is why it's important to you. It should be important to you. Are are you content with a lesser role that God may have for you in this life? You want it to be there, but you're here. You wanted this to happen, but that's happening. You want this to take place, but that's taking place. Are you content with that? Happily content with that. All that you have has been given to you by God, Christian. All that you have is grace. Nothing you have is from yourself. Who are you to question? Who are you to be discontent with that? Once again, we see another way Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament surpassed Judaism he far surpasses John the baptizer and any other rite of purification because he's supreme so how does this begin verses 22 to 26 I titled it subtitled this way these few verses 22 to 26 I titled like this the temptation of discontentment the temptation of discontentment Notice how things set itself up. The historical narrative. After these things that was spoken, no real time frame is given. And Jesus and his disciples came into the rural areas of Judea. They were already in Judea. They went to the rural areas. And Christ, through his disciples, was also baptizing people. And it's through his disciples you find that out later in chapter 4. Jesus himself wasn't necessarily baptized, it was through his disciples. So you see, his ministry of baptism coincided with John, again notice verse 23, and John also was baptized in Anon near Salem, because there's much water there, there were springs of water, it was there in that desert, part of the desert. So people were coming to Jesus, but people were also coming to John to be baptized by him. Yet more and more were Going to Jesus. Now, I mean, why was Jesus baptizing? What does baptism signify? John doesn't tell us this. But it was a baptism from above. A baptism that focused on Christ Jesus as Messiah. In all reality, he was doing true baptism, not just in himself, but also through John, because John's baptism was a baptism of Jesus, because it was pointing to Jesus. And notice verse 24 John the evangelist tells us, for John the Baptist, the baptizer, had not yet been thrown into prison. So Jesus had an earlier Judean ministry, and the writer John the evangelist, he wanted to make this clear before John the baptizer had been arrested and thrown into prison. So what was happening, there was a point to, the point is to show, uh, one writer put it like this, a symbiotic relationship between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John. It, it was, there was a unity There wasn't a conflict. 
and yet a conflict arose. Look at verse 25. Therefore, a discussion, an argument, really. Therefore, an argument came out of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. A specific rite of Jewish purification, but we're not told the specifics. What did it involve? How did it relate to Jesus baptizing, John baptizing? There wasn't a point. It's going to direct us to the true meaning and the source of purification, how Jesus was supreme in this. This is what it's going to direct us to. But notice how it, what happens is this argument, discussion, <clears throat> argument really, it came up about this whole baptizing. You can look at verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you testified, look, he's baptizing. And all are coming to him. As was said before, apparently the conversation sparked an issue with Jesus baptizing. We're not told how. Now, now John's disciples did understand that their teacher, Rabbi, testified to Jesus. They got that. But they did not understand why he was baptizing. And notice, more were going to Jesus than to John. Were they resentful? Maybe bitter? Maybe It's hard to tell, but when they say all are coming to him, well, that's kind of an exaggeration. Not really everybody. But regardless, they were trying to understand what was happening. Why was this happening? Should it be happening? And there's the temptation, and that temptation is directed right to John. Temptation. I shouldn't be here. I should have this. You, God, should give me that. Blah, blah, blah. The temptation to be discontent. Well, all are going to him. Now, less people are coming to you. What's happening to your ministry? It's fading away. Well, so there's the temptation. How will John respond to this? How will you? Well, you simply lack the trust. Well, learn from John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, how to be happily content with Jesus' supremacy over your life. Here's four ways. How can you be happily content with Jesus' supremacy over your life? Here's the first way. Number one, all is God's grace. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man is not able to receive anything except that which has been given him from heaven. John didn't just give him a straight answer. (laughs) He put it in a saying, like a maxim or an adage. But he's basically saying, All human claims are given by God's sovereign hand. We have no claim on anything. It's like what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What do you have you haven't received? It's, it's, it's all grace. Anything we have is a gift from God. Anything. 
It all belongs to the Lord. Your health, your wealth, or lack thereof. Your house, your kids, no kids, grandkids, your job, throw it in there. Your life, your wife, your husband, all is God's grace. All gifts are from heaven or or from God. And that includes any kind of particular place within God's plan of salvation, for that matter. Forgiveness, reconciliation, you're adopted. It's all God-given. You want to know I want to know how you can be happily content. Realize that everything you have is grace. John knew this was his calling by God's sovereignty within God's plan for redemptive history. Look, to be discontent with God's wise, sovereign purposes for people and things, for you is to betray trust in Christ and faithfulness to him. You betray that. God, you've got it all wrong. I know better. That's, that's discontentment. That's, that's what discontentment means. You're saying, God, you've got it all wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me, I know better. I should have... Uh, remember... All that you have has been given to you by God, Christian. Nothing you have is from yourself. Who are you to question that? And to show discontent? Shouldn't we instead be thankful? Grateful? Happily content? So the first way how you, how we can be happily content with the supremacy of Jesus over our lives. All is God's grace. Number two, know your part. Or you can put remember your part. Look at verse 28. You yourselves testified to me. I said, I myself am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. I'm not Messiah, man. John made clear his identity, his role, his part. I'm not the Messiah. His part was to be sent before the Messiah. He was the herald of Messiah. And and John was totally cool with that. He was content with the part he had to play. I'm good with that. From the very beginning, John knew his ministry would focus on another, not himself. That was his part to play. So so this statement is almost like a rebuking of his disciples. But notice he also demoted himself and promoted Christ. Guys, I'm simply a messenger of the message is what he's saying. 
I testify to the Christ. What about you? Do you remember your part that you play? This is the part that God has given you in his story. Within human history, within the scope of redemptive history, this is what God has done. Don't forget that. It's easy to do, isn't it? I I know it is. Especially when you start comparing yourself with who? Other Christians. God, he's got, and she, but he and they. That's the temptation of discontentment, right? That's what you're tempted to do. You're tempted towards that. John, John was so cool with this. He's like, I'm, I'm good. All this God's grace, he knew his part, remembered his part. Here's a third way. Know your position as well. Know your position, verse 29. The one who has to bride is the bridegroom. Duh. Of course. But the friend of the bridegroom, the one who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. In, in parabolic fashion, John explained even more how he viewed his identity and his position in comparison to Jesus. He's the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. The one who gets the bride is the bridegroom. I mean, that's just obvious, yeah. Not the friend. The bride is for the groom, not the friend. That's his position. The friend in in Jewish weddings was a highly honored position. He had a number of responsibilities like serving as a witness, contributing financially, being promoted in the festivities, providing general oversight and and management for the ceremony. He's trying to lift up the bride and the groom. He's trying to lift them up. That That was his role. That was his place. That was his position. The friend stands and hears the bridegroom and loves to hear from him. He gets such joy in watching the ceremony take place and he'll make sure it all runs smoothly for that's my boy. That's my boy. Yeah. Remember maybe when some of you have been married, your best man, he does that. I remember Paul Nichols did that for me. He just like pointed to me and Chris. It's great. That was, that was his role. That was his position. There's such great joy for the friend knowing and seeing the groom and his bride are united together and so happy together. A good friend will see to it that all the focus is upon the groom and the bride. That's his position in the wedding. And and Make no mistake about it. John knew from Old Testament passages, the passage that depicted God's people as the bride and Yahweh, the Lord, as the bridegroom. 
John understood this was his place. His place was to magnify, praise, point to, and get excited about the groom. Don't, don't get excited about me. What are you getting excited about me for? I'm nothing. That's Jesus, man, right? He should be supreme. He should be exalted. He should be magnified. He should be honored. He's the groom, right? All is God's grace. Know your part, remember your part. Remember your position, and then guess what? Be happy about it. Because look at verse 29. End of verse 29, he says, and so this joy of mine has been made full. He was happy about it. He's excited about it. It's been filled up. His joy has been filled up. Why? Because here it is. He received such great satisfaction in knowing that his God-given gift, his God-given role was being successful. He got joy because Jesus was being supreme. You get that? He got joy because he was receiving. He was receiving from the Son of God. Think about it. Jesus was getting the focus, the attention, the glory, the honor. For John not to be that joy, happy about it, it would be like a bride or even the bridegroom in a wedding being concerned that the best man wasn't getting enough attention at their wedding that the best man wasn't getting enough attention at the wedding. That would be ridiculous, right? I mean, the, the, the bride's like, oh. Like Chris would be like, oh, Paul, are, are you getting enough attention? Is everything okay? Are you, are, you need to make sure you're getting all your pictures and this and that. Like, what? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Or I would say, as the groom, uh, Paul, uh, to, my, to my best man, are you, make sure you're okay, you're, you're getting the focus. Maybe you should come up and do this and that. And, and, we wouldn't do that. It's ridiculous. It's like kind of silly, right? Would you do that at your wedding? <laughs> Probably not. It'd be ridiculous. The focus is on the groom and his bride. There's jealousy that can seep in with this discontentment. And I'll tell you, a heart full of joy pushes out any jealousy we have towards others and any arrogance we have towards God. It's joy. The fullness of God's promise had finally been made known and this brought John such great satisfaction. So, so he was... He was serving God, and yet as he's serving God, God was actually serving him. Because the best thing for him to do was to hear and, as one writer put it, quote, respond to his own witness. So he's, 
the best thing he would do was, was to respond to his own witness. He's responding to Jesus. He's receiving. He's getting joy as he's focusing on Jesus. See? Jesus is getting the focus. And when Jesus gets the focus, I get the joy. When Jesus gets the focus in your life, you get the joy. Because you're doing what you're made to do. Our joy and our self-benefiting is actually found in Jesus, the bridegroom. And our service to the bride benefits the bride. Who's the bride? His body, the church, God's people. So here's the four ways. All is God's grace. All is his gift. Know your part or remember your part. Know your position. And be happy about it. Okay, so summary. So here's the deal. Verse 30, sum it up. Here's the deal. It is necessary for him to increase, but for me to decrease. You don't see that, but must. The must is day in the Greek. Delta, epsilon, iota. It must happen this way. It has to. This was the only way God, excuse me, John was going to be content when he was doing what he was meant to do, called to do, sovereignly directed to do. The only way. He must decrease, John, and the old order that John represented. Christ is the true purification. Christ is the true temple. Christ is the true birth. Christ is the true bridegroom. Notice that walks us back all the way back to chapter two. Purification, birth, the bridegroom, the true temple. That's who Jesus is. And, And here's the other thing too. John's joy was not found in conceding victory to his superior opponent through mumbling and grumbling. Okay, God. You know, I'm surprised over my That's that's not that's not how John that's not how John responded. Okay, you win. Whatever. No. He wholeheartedly embraced God's will for him and the identity, part, and position into which God placed him. He wanted Jesus to reign supreme totally. There's a lot we can learn here from John, can't we? From just these few verses. And, and this is not just a simple universal summary of God's purpose for, for John in relation to Messiah, but a universal summary for all messengers of God's message. And, and the idea of decrease is this. Here's the idea of decrease, which I said this to you earlier. He's the one who receives, Jesus is the one who gives. I receive, 
Jesus gives. I'm the receiver. And when I receive, I get joy. I receive that Jesus will reign supreme in my whole life and in every circumstance into which he placed me. Goodness, sickness. From what I have to do, even from what I, excuse me, from what I have to what I don't have and maybe what I want to have. My life needs to be focused on him, not me. We're mere recipients of what he offers. He gives to us. He reigns supreme in us. I mean, think about it. No one else matters. We commit ourselves unreservedly to Jesus with full fidelity. I get my life into his story. Easier said than done, isn't it? But that's how our very lives should be defined. We are in service to the bride and the bridegroom. Who's the bride? Us. Which is what? His body. So we're serving the groom by serving the body because the body's the bride, which is the body of Christ, and that's Jesus. See? And we're in service to the bride and the bridegroom even as we're members of the bride ourselves. So our joy, I said this earlier, our joy and self-benefiting is found in our bridegroom and our service benefits his body, his people. I'll put it in a different way. And, And the person who did this put it in a way that's perfect, I think. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied with him. That's John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. And as we satisfy ourselves with him, serving him, we're in essence serving his people, which is his body, the church, us, because we're the body of Christ, and that brings great joy. You see? The Christian life is being happily content with Jesus reigning supreme. How do you be happily content with Jesus' supremacy over your life? It's all God's grace. Remember your part. Remember your position. And you'll be happy about it. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Easier said than done. But may God's Spirit give us grace to learn how to be content with our Savior. Can we pray for that now? Oh, Father, thank you. We fall so short of this. And yet you've shown us such amazing grace, (laughs) Father, by sending your Son to die for us, who rose from the dead. We have grace. 
we're given your grace and your compassion. You've forgiven us. You've loved us. We are rebels and sinners. And yet you've brought us close to yourself. We have hearts of thanks and joy. And yet, thank you, Father, that when we grumble and complain, Jesus, you died for that too. We had to be forgiven of that too. So work in us as a people that we may be so happily content with what you're doing day in and day out week in and week out. Work in us, we pray, by your Spirit. And I say to you, if you're here and you have not allowed Jesus to reign supreme in your life, May today be the day that you repent and trust in Jesus. That you will humble yourself. You'll say, God, I, all I deserve is your judgment. Please show me mercy and forgive me. I repent and I put my trust in you alone, Jesus. And God will save you. Do that even now. As we take these next few moments to to think and to ponder what we've seen from God's word, do that now. Call upon him, say, Jesus, I repent. I trust you. I believe you died for my sin. He'll save you. He'll show you grace. And so let this time, these next few moments, to let your mind be filled with the truth of God Maybe it'll be a time of confession where you say, Lord, I've, I've been discontent with my life. I need your grace. Give me your grace to be happily content. Maybe this will be the time where you do that. Whatever the case may be, use these few moments, I pray, I ask, to fill your mind with truth. Please do that now.